I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and this is the Dine Desk Podcast. Listen to this episode if you have kids, teenagers especially, if you have teenagers in your life, maybe a niece or a nephew, if you ever come into contact with anybody who has kids, you might want to listen to this episode. Because this episode, while on the surface might seem like it's just about college acceptance season, is really about asking people questions that a couple of years ago were kind of no big deal that now, post-pandemic, because of all the stuff that's been going on, can actually be really heavy questions. Um, So really, it's about asking questions in a way that's empathetic if the answer happens to be kind of a sensitive subject for the other person. So college acceptance season, this is the time of the year when back in the day, we used to get those letters in the mail that said if we got accepted to a college or not, now it all, you know, comes in an email or you go online to see whether or not you got the pass card. And to quote Dickens in A Tale of Two Cities, it is the best of times, it is the worst of times. He, of course, used the past tense in that quote. But the last few years have been really rough for high school kids. At the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people wondered how the pandemic and its crazy side effects that have impacted education, what long-term that might do to the college process. And we're now starting to get an idea. Jen Curtis and Cindy Muchnick are the authors of a book called The Parent Compass, Navigating Your Teen's Wellness and Academic Journey in Today's Competitive World. They wrote this book pre-Varsity Blue Scandal after they started noticing independently some pretty disturbing trends showing up in students and in parents. Now, if their names are a little familiar to you, it's because they've been on the show before. I connected with them at the beginning of the pandemic after I actually heard them being interviewed on Heather Dubrow's podcast. Yes, The Housewife, Real Housewife on Bravo, Heather Dubrow. Um, Backstory there is that Cindy's kids actually went to preschool in Orange County with Heather Dubrow's kids, so kind of a small world. So that's where I first heard about them, and I connected with them, and I've interviewed them a number of times over the last couple of years. They've been on um, KCRA on the TV side as college experts. They're just fabulous and just like really cool women on top of it. I wish they lived in my neighborhood. They're fabulous and they have been so helpful in helping our viewers understand how education has been impacted during the pandemic. And that absolutely extends to this college acceptance season. So they both worked as college counselors for years and they were starting to see some weird stuff in their offices. They saw kids who really didn't speak for themselves. They were seeing parents who just couldn't stop talking about what they said their college dreams were for their kids. And so they wrote this book really about rebooting how you parent and how you see your kid for who they truly are and then who they truly want to become. It's really about backing off and letting your kid kind of do the work. I can't recommend the book enough. So that's why they're back on the show today, to talk about what they're noticing now, two years after the pandemic started, and some really sage advice on how to interact with people about where their kids are going to school and how to ask those kids themselves the question about making decisions for their future. So on this time to ask, we have a reality check on what college acceptance season is actually like this year. Record-setting applications obviously mean record-setting disappointment for a lot of these kids. We'll talk about some of the real pressures high school kids are facing. That whole saying, and I bet you've said it, I could never get into the college I went to. 
It's actually probably true. <laughs> I know it is in my case. Not a chance these days based on the qualifications that a lot of these kids have to get into these big schools. We'll talk about why the ladies say they'd like to ban the word rejection from the conversation. You think about acceptance and reject it. Um, they hate the word rejected. Who doesn't like the word <laughs> rejected? Nobody likes it, but it feels especially harsh right now. So they have a better way to talk to your kids about schools that maybe don't offer them a spot this year. They also caution against celebrating a kid's college plans on social media, the not so humble brag. They'll talk about why it makes some kids and families feel less than, but also the unintended consequences for the kid who actually got the good news. It is all proof that it takes a village, people. Here is my latest conversation with Jen Curtis and Cindy Muchnick, the authors of The Parent Compass. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and I've been anchoring morning news for more than 20 years. I thought I had seen and covered it all. Then came coronavirus, a pandemic, anchoring in my living room, homeschooling my kids, and all the things that come with COVID, including a vaccine. It was supposed to get us all back on track and living our best Instagrammable lives. Best lives-ish. The reality is we're still untangling what life looks like in a world post-pandemic. A lot of people describe a sense of never-ending overwhelm and anxiety. Is that just what life is like now? Or are there ways we can get back to living in the now? And this season of the Dying Desk podcast is asking how we can hit the restart and start living again. Cindy and Jen, welcome back to the Dying Desk podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks. It's always great to be with you. Well, you know, um, here we are. This is the month when I know like when we were all going to school, traditionally the envelopes came in the mail. I don't know if they still do for college acceptances. Do they? No. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not, no, not, no. Not often. Not often. Not, no, no. But after after you've clicked on the electronic thing, um, you get some swag in the mail sometimes. Okay. So I will say from personal yeah. experience, folders come. They just don't always come on the same time that the electronic one. And you might get a t-shirt or a little school pennant. Or you know a bumper sticker. Um, not that you know, just just those sales uh, sales items. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I still remember. Are pretty much electronic. Oh gosh, I still remember. You know, a million years ago, like getting that envelope and opening those envelopes and pulling out the paper, and it was you know very dramatic. Now they literally are opening up an email, and 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 a lot of their their futures in their lives, it feels like, are hanging on the line of what shows up in that email. I was, um, I went to a boarding school in high school. And so if you can imagine, you know, most of us received our mail and we opened up in, in the privacy of our own home. Well, we all had like a, a hallway of like mailboxes all lined up next to each other. So when college decisions came out, everyone is sitting there, like opening up their decisions all next to each other. It was, wow. it was another level. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, on that same note. That um, sounds like a show I would watch on the CW. Right. It really does. <laughs> well, I, I will say from personal experience um, as well, my oldest son went to boarding school on the East coast and we lived in California. And when his decisions came, he was um, at the gym on an exercise bike with his phone to look it up. And we were in California on a zoom. I think it was Skype back then with him and he was away from anyone you know he didn't want to be in a public hallway you know having anyone see him and I remember kind of you know doing our little family celebration um long distance through video which was sort of sad but it's weird too because schools are 
not encouraging kids to show up in their sweatshirts the next day, celebrating, you know, where they might go or where they got in. That's sort of a big no-no right now. Um, these wear your t-shirt or wear your sweatshirt to school days are becoming less, you know, less popular and a bit more harmful and hurtful, um, quite frankly, for the kids who might not get the news that they'd wanted. Yeah. And it is interesting. And, and I've so appreciated getting to talk to you, um, you know, over the course of the pandemic about the impact that the pandemic had on kids in school and being home and, and going back to school and, and all of those things. And a lot of us at the beginning of it wondered, you know, what's this going to do with college? What will it do with acceptances? And the interesting thing is we've got like record applications that went out this year. Why? So I think there's a variety of factors. The pandemic really injected a sense of uncertainty in general, right? Um, on top of that, we had all these test optional and test blind policies, which for people who don't really understand what those are, um, test optional means if you have test scores, you can send them to us, but you don't have to. And pretty much every school in the country, not all, but almost all had to go test optional because students could not sit to take their tests during the pandemic. All the um, sittings got canceled, um, particularly in certain parts of the country. And then test blind, um, that, that went a step further and said, even if you have tests, we're not going to look at them. And so um, because of those things coupled together, um, students were applying to many more schools than, than maybe they did, you know, three, four, five years ago. So we saw application numbers skyrocket, but class sizes stayed the same. So, um, you know, also in the midst of that, schools had a difficult time with students unable to do visits and other ways of showing their interest. They had a more of a difficult time um, predicting their yield. So um, because of that, we saw acceptance rates fall and we also saw the use of wait lists and deferrals um, sort of for that, um, the protection of, of schools yield. And so when, when kids are getting deferred, like I, I've heard of some schools where they'll say, you know, you're <clears throat> deferred, but you could have admittance the second semester of your freshman year or your sophomore year. Um, is that... Is that because they know there are a certain number of kids who are just going to leave a school? So you're kind of hedging your bets to still keep the seats filled? Yeah, I think that the it's, it's, it's a really interesting question because I think a lot of kids also throw in there just to what Jen just um, explained, also the, the gap year or the kids who kind of took a break and said, maybe I just take a year off since A, I don't want to go to college online during the pandemic or B, I'll just do something else until things kind of settle down. I mean, no one could have known this would go on for over two years. And so I think really um, this, the, the colleges are, are, yes, definitely hedging their bets, but also when these deferred kids or these kids who took gap years um, are coming back, right? They're deciding now to accept their enrollment, then those numbers kind of grow. And then you also throw in the early decision component where classes, I mean, some schools are admitting 60% of their class during early decision, which is a binding choice that kids have to make early in wow. the fall. And therefore, the class sizes are even fuller and more committed when the regular decision pool is being evaluated. So it is really complex, really confusing, kind of scary, kind of overwhelming. And it seems to be just this very broken process that we keep hearing is kind of not, not perfect. Yeah. I'm now, you know, parenting age-wise in the bracket where like, I'm starting to pay attention to these things because it's, it's getting closer. <laughs> you know, It's starting to like actually rock my world a little bit. And it's been very interesting to hear parents over the last couple of years talk about how heartbreaking it is 
for kids who don't get into a school for whatever reason. Um, and so you guys have, have really put a lot of information out there about maybe some like more sensitive ways to handle this. And the starting with the idea of, of not using the word rejected if you didn't get the answer you were hoping for from a school. Um, I, I'm a big, big proponent of avoiding the word rejected. I will say that probably I'd like to say hundred percent of the time, but maybe 99% of the time, if a student of mine does not get admitted to a school, they will call me or email me or somehow let me know that they were rejected. I mean, that is the word that everybody uses. And to me, it's such a jarring word. And I don't think that it's a great um, or accurate reflection of what's really going on. So the word reject means um, to dismiss as inadequate or inappropriate or not to one's taste. And I think it's so important that we really think about unfavorable admission decisions not being tied to self-worth. Our kids should not have to interpret an unfavorable admission decision as an indication that they're inadequate. Um, you know, this really is a very imperfect process. These decisions have nothing to do with the student's integrity or character, but they tend to interpret it that way. And mm -hmm. thus that word rejected. Um, and so I really would urge parents to try to flip the script and help, um, help students to understand that colleges do have to make very difficult decisions. And they make these decisions based on priorities um, that really can shift from year to year. Um, and, and those priorities sometimes don't make sense to the rest of us. So we can be helping our students see that the decision is not a personal one. It's not an approval or a disapproval of who they are or how hard they've worked in high school or what they've accomplished or what they're going to accomplish in the future. It's a decision. Um, and instead, you know, I think, I think families can be encouraging students and, and parents can be using different words like closed door or didn't gain admission, didn't get in, it wasn't the right fit at this time instead of um, using that word rejected. I think I'll add Deirdre, um, so my first career out of college was in college admissions. So I sat on the other side of the table evaluating applications in the early 1990s, mid 1990s. And um, I will say that these, you know, the system even back then wasn't exactly perfect. These kids spend, you know, hundreds of hours on their essays and crafting their wonderful statements and they're getting their recommendations in order and doing their activities, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I always encourage my students once I started doing private college counseling like Jen um, to really focus on the things you do have control over because this is there are there are things that the kids can control they can control what they write and submit they can control their relationships with their teachers and the teachers that they that they build a rapport with who who ultimately advocate for them they can control to some degree how they do in school and how hard they're either you know, working or, or seeking out support or, um, you know, doing the best that they're capable of doing at whatever academic level they might be. Um, but they can't control how many kids from their school apply to that school, what the college is looking for in terms of, you know, how many tuba players that year or how many, you know, students from the Midwest they're trying to add to their list or whatever it might be that they're looking for that we don't have control over. So I say, Look at the things you do have control over and know, you know, I get to choose how I spend my free time on the weekends. I get to choose 
what activities I do after school. I get to choose how much effort I want to put into some of these classes. And, you know, once that application is submitted, it, it does become out of your control. But the good news is when you're admitted to just a couple schools and it only takes one, you're back in control again. You mm. get to choose. It's the most exhilarating feeling to be back on the other side and to be the one that's now being courted because now the school wants you and that does feel good, whatever the school might be. And again, that school could be a community college. It could be a two-year college. It could be an internship. It could be something else other than just college. So, you know, this is a very roller coaster process. Jen and I have written articles about that and used that analogy. It is not, you know, it's a crazy ride. And, um, you know, you'll get through it together with your teens if your approach is reasonable and sound and you don't get caught up in the frenzy. We talk a lot about yeah. this in our book, The Parent Compass. You know, I, I talked to a lot of friends. My husband and I have had this conversation a number of times um, where we'll say the following. I never would get into the schools that I applied to and got into back, way back then. You know, I'm like, I got in everywhere that I applied and I got into some really big schools that I ended up not going to. Um, but if I were going today with what I had back then, there's no way. Like I might not even get on a tour of the place. I mean, is, is that a pretty common and is that a fair statement that it's just that much more difficult now? I think there are a lot of factors at play there. Um, I think my, my dad likes to use this um, I don't even know a, 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 I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but a, a statement, an analogy. Um, not about college admission, but um, actually about real estate. <laughs> but I think that it applies. It's that a rising tide raises all ships. And I do think there is a certain sense of kids today, unfortunately, are expected to do more. And um, I think that there is a part of that playing. I think if we were all in school now, we would be, we would feel that pressure to do more and keep up. And I think that that's what's contributing so much to their mental health right now. Um, so yes, I think in a sense, you know, and, the, and we also are seeing a lot of great inflation as well. Um, and that mm. is a very real thing. And so, you know, I think both of those things together make us all say, I wouldn't have been able to get into that school. And maybe a certain, certain, you know, aspect of that is true. But I also think that kids just have a lot more pressure and have to do a lot more um, than we had to do back then. It's a lot more sophisticated in how we kind of choreograph um, a resume as a teen. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I think back to like what I was like at 16, 17, and I'll tell you, my parents had no idea about that. That was my responsibility, my job to figure it all out. And um, certainly parents are tend to be a little bit more active in all of this, which maybe, and that's certainly some of the stuff that you guys talk about in the parent compass. Maybe that's part of the, the challenge that we have right now is parents are so vested in those acceptance or, you know, not acceptances mm -hmm. that are coming in too. Yeah. And we're not, what we're not commenting on here is the fact that, okay, yeah, there's maybe 50 to hundred colleges on this, you know, what people think is some magic list, right. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, oh, you're not going to be happy if you're not at one of these, you know, hundred colleges that are, you know, somehow deemed, you know, the magic places to go. But the crazy thing is, I think the statistics show that if you look at all of the colleges available, most of them accept more than 60% of their applicants, more than 60%. I mean, that means like you have a pretty good shot if you apply to those schools. If you broaden, cast a wider net, are more realistic about different options and consider more closely state schools, community colleges, 
colleges that are, you know, more affordable where you can get your general education requirements out of the way and then maybe transfer to a different college after that. And so I think that this competition sort of between parents and, you know, that, you know, and, and that their kids are sort of these trophies. I mean, we saw the most extreme, disgusting version of that during the college admission scandal, which obviously, sure. you know, went completely off the rails. And which was one of the reasons that the parent compass was written was to kind of, you know, counteract what, what parents are doing wrong. But the reality is that, um, you know, our kids are, are human beings and we had our chance to be teens. Let's let them have their chance. Look, I, I love all my kids. I've raised four of them. I'm still, I have two in high school, one, one in college and one out of college. And the way I've raised them has kind of shifted through the years. And I laugh at sort of my younger two and how they navigate their own way much more. They're much more capable than we ever give them credit for, number one. Number two, they're going to tell you what they want to do if you listen. I mean, you know, you can only sprinkle ideas and encourage so much. I mean, I wish one of my kids would take, you know, their photography and submit it for some contests and nope, they have no interest. So I can't do that for them. <laughs> I've sprinkled it out there, but wasn't received. So, you know, even I, as the parent of, of this stage, tend to kind of say, oh, maybe you want to try this. Nope. You know, they're going to do it ultimately their way. And really it is their choice and their journey. And it is a hard time to be a teen. I mean, I yeah. just read a quote about, you know, normal life will never be normal again for middle and high schoolers since social media arrived. I mean, it's just, you cannot take that piece away and take that piece out. Although we have a whole chapter dedicated to it. So if anyone wants to go back to the old flip phone, version of life or, um, you know, just completely cut social media out of your life, which is pretty darn difficult. Um, that might be one way, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty hard. Yeah. Very, uh, unrealistic, I think, to be able to do it. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about, um, kind of ways to manage maybe some of the disappointment that kids might be feeling. Cause you both have touched on the fact that we already knew pre pandemic, we were hitting a mental health crisis with kids this age. Um, it seems like a lot of these pressures now have made it that much worse. What are some good ways to manage some of that disappointment if the kids don't get the answer that maybe they were hoping for? I think parents can be talking about uh, admission decisions with their kids way before they're released. So, you know, we know that they typically come in March and April have those conversations for months before. Don't let it become an elephant in the room, um, you know, because you're afraid to warn them that there might be disappointment. Um, having those kind of regular conversations with them will help to destigmatize that disappointment. Um, I think also um, communicating that no matter what happens, whether good decision, whether bad decision, you are impressed and so proud of the effort that they put in in high school and also the effort that they put into their college applications um, in particular. Then when the, that disappointment does come, you know, in March, it's actually now it's kind of creeped into the first week of April, um, you know, make sure that you sit with them through that pain. Make sure that you're walking alongside them in the disappointment. I think as parents, we don't want to see our kids suffer. And I'm, I'm definitely, a, um, <laughs> I definitely do this with my kids. I kind of want to reach in and fix it and take that away. And, you know, but don't do that. That's not doing them any favors. So sit down with them, let them cry. Just listen, be that shoulder to cry and don't try to, you know, fix it and take that away from them. And also, and I think this is really important, um, 
you're probably as a parent going to be disappointed too. You may have had some um, places that you wanted your child to get into, but they just didn't get in and you saw their future there. And it's just not going to happen. Um, really try your best to deal with that disappointment on your own time. Because when you don't, um, you know, you may be communicating to your teen that they have to manage your emotions mm -hmm. while they're also grappling with their own. Yeah. What are your thoughts on people sharing or celebrating on social media? Uh, a few years ago, um, I witnessed um, someone posting their, the, a parent posting their kid's decision, you know, um, and the parents were celebrating it with the kid and, and the whole thing on their Facebook group, but they had, you know, a thousand friends in that group. And the next day at school, um, that kid went to school as a senior and actually was treated kind of shut out by a lot of their friends and were just treated not nicely because it was offensive that the family was celebrating this, um, you know, pretty well-known school in, I wouldn't say a braggadocio kind of way, but it kind of was, right? So um, that can be, you know, and the kid maybe even wore that sweatshirt to school the next day. I, I don't, I don't know the, all the details. I just remember hearing that that kid got kind of canceled and I would caution parents <laughs> to temper their sharing of this news. Um, we can go back to calling grandparents and calling aunts and uncles and a couple of close friends and sharing the news that way. Or if on social media, keeping it kind of private um, to just people that are very close to, um, you know, your student who watched them kind of grow up. And then later, if you want to find like, are there other parents that, you know, our kids going to be going to the same school, you can, you know, your kid kind of winds up hearing a little bit at school through the grapevine. But you can send a couple texts like, hey, I know it's a weird time, but, you know, have, has your son or daughter, you know, gotten into a couple places, maybe they're, you know, they, they're trying to make the same decisions together and we could just talk as parents and brainstorm together, like in a way that's not offensive, that's not assuming that if you have a couple good friends and parents that are in your village that already know you that are willing to kind of talk, because I always tell kids during the process, it's nobody else's business. It's not their friend. It's just their own private journey. They don't need to share with their friends what schools they applied to, what schools they got into, what schools they didn't got into, get into. They Ultimately, all they have to share someday is where they're going. And usually it's because the school asks them to, they put it in their graduation thing or whatever it might be. Is, there, is there a polite way to ask somebody in your social circle? Like, how's it going? Like, I, I, I find myself, I don't want to ask anybody <laughs> because I don't want to open up something that might be harm, not harmful, but hurtful. To someone, is there is there a polite way to say, "Hey, how's it going? Have you made any decisions?" or or should you just avoid it these days? I mean, I I would say what you just said, Deirdre, is like I feel kind of uncomfortable even asking. But you know, are you okay sharing a little bit just between us? I mean, if it's a close friend that you trust and that likes you, you can literally admit. I kind of feel weird asking. I don't know the proper protocol, <laughs> but you know, can we talk a little bit about it together just between us? And I think, you know, then they'll let you know, like, uh, you know, we're still pretty raw here and we're not ready. Or, you know what, I'm so glad you asked because I just need someone to be able to share it with. Like your, your friends that you walk with, you know, those are the ones I think that are, you know, that are safe to maybe ask that. If we could go back to the social media for just one second, there, there's a term that Cindy and I use in the parent compass that I think is really applicable to this conversation um, about, the whole, you know, what do you post on social media um, with regard to admission decisions? 
um, it's a little bit easier to conceptualize when you see it in print, but it's to post with intention, not in tension, like, you know, mm. tension with your children and, or tension with other people or whatever. And I think that that does apply here because I would ask people who want to post admission decisions, what's your intention behind the post? Is it to get, you know, feedback from other people? Wow, way to go. You know, and if, and if that really is the case, then, um, you know, we also like to say that humility goes a long way. People will eventually find out, but does it necessarily need to be um, splashed across social media just to get people to make you feel good? Um, you know, so really think about your intention for posting. It's really interesting. When, when we were talking, I guess it's probably at least a year ago, we were talking about the kind of question mark that might be out there in terms of college admissions acceptances because of the impact of COVID. And we know that the impact of COVID um, across different parts of the country, different socioeconomic classes um, has been drastically different from place to place and group to group. Do we have any sense of, of, you know, for these kids who've gone to high school during a pandemic, how that's playing out, especially for kids who had a hard time? I think, you know, the way it's playing out, would you, are you asking in college, like once these kids have launched? Um, no, I, th I think I mean more like even in terms of applying to college, because we know that there are kids who checked out for a year who couldn't handle it for a variety of reasons. How much are the, is that being held against kids as they put in these applications? Do we know? I don't know that we necessarily know how much it's being held against them. I think my answer would be two-pronged. I think one is, you know, kids were sort of given this message that we understand that you can't, you know, do all the activities during this time and it's okay, we'll take that into consideration and it's okay, you know, we'll take into consideration the test optional, the test blind, and it won't be held against you. But I think there is a certain level of distrust of that from students who are kind of like, really? I don't, I don't know. You know, this person did send in a test score. I'm not, is that going to be held? And I think that there, and I, I can't say that we have firm answers. You know, I will say that admission decisions have been all over the board. You know, those super, super, super high achieving students, a lot of them had some really disappointing results. And those were the kids that really did go out. And even though there was a pandemic, they did some incredible, incredible things. And they still got no's from, you know, from the really competitive schools. So, um, you know, I don't know that there's a firm answer, but I also think that we've we've heard confusing messages. Um, I also think in terms of the process itself, um, what I saw was an incredible level of burnout starting at the very beginning of this school year. And so I will say um, in my many years of being an educational consultant, being a college counselor, this was probably my most difficult college application season I have ever had, ever. And um, I think that it's because students were already burned out and they had no energy to give to the process. Um, and on top of that, they were really trying to figure out time management. You know, they didn't, they, they, they had gotten away with not so great time management skills for a year. And then they went back this fall and they had to relearn time management. So the process itself, getting it done was um, the hardest I've ever seen. You know, it's so funny. Everything you're saying, take the student teen part out. You've also just described people going back into offices. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly the same. Yeah. 
I think um, also when we just factor in that every application now does have a question about COVID. It's been added to the common application and there's always a question, is there anything else you need to tell us, you know, that you want to add? I would caution families um, or kids to not write their main essay about something COVID related because we're all kind of COVIDed out. But I have students who ask me like, should I even answer this question? And my answer is yes, you should answer that question because you do have something to say that's your own about how COVID affected you, um, how it affected you, you know, personally, if you caught it or if you had friends who caught it, what you did instead, um, what you feel you've missed out on and what you've lost how it you know, impacted your own mental health, whatever it might be. If there's a question about something, that's an opportunity to share something about yourself. So students shouldn't just kind of ignore that, like, ugh, I don't wanna write another essay or I don't wanna write another paragraph and I don't even wanna talk about COVID. I mean, maybe that could be their answer is, I'm done talking about COVID. But the point is the question probably should be answered in some kind of a thoughtful way because everyone does, we've all, you know, planet worldwide been impacted by this in multiple ways. Yeah, no, that's a wonderful point. It's one of my, one of the most interesting questions to me to find out what people were doing when I meet people or I'm interviewing them to ask them like, what were you doing during that time? And it's, it, it's a unifying question. Cause like you said, every single person on this planet has a story of what was happening in their lives and everybody's got stuff going on. You might not think they do, <laughs> but yeah. everybody's had stuff going on. So it's and, and see how much we've gained knowledge as it's gone on. I mean, don't we remember back when we thought it was going to last for 30 days, mm. you know, yeah. two weeks and wow. Yeah. We, yeah. I, I have to just say, I, I lit, I, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of candles. And at the beginning of COVID, um, I was like, I'm not going anywhere. I so love that I, you're a huge fan of candles. That makes yeah. my day. And I'll tell you a funny story when you, <laughs> you tell got me, me okay. a good one. I so have at one the beginning of COVID, I, I spent more money than I should have on candles, but I was like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to be stuck in this house and I'm buying candles. And I bought these fig smelling candles. I love fake smell. Anyway. So this morning I lit a fig smelling candle um, that's now going on during our interview. And um, the first thing I my brain went to was like, oh God, COVID, like quarantine, fig. I don't know if I can do this. You know, the day that they were sending everybody home on that Friday, I called my colleague from the station, Edie, and we, we started divvying up the errands because we knew everything was shutting down. She's, and I remember she said, I'm running to, she was going to the beauty supply. She's like, what can I get you? I'm like, get like the root touch up, get that, get that. I'll get that. And I'm like, I'm going to the Nordstrom rack. I'm buying candles <laughs> because I find that they kind of calm the family down right? in the evening. So I, I want, I'm on board with you at the whole yeah. candle thing. <laughs> and that tradition has not left for me for the last two yeah. years. Well, it's a lot to think about. And, um, you know, I, I hope people hear it and, and it maybe it changes the way you interact with the people around you, whether it's people in your own social circle or people you work with, um, you know, they're, they're something that used to be such an innocent question is where's your kid going to college can really be loaded with a lot of emotion. Um, and, and maybe in some cases, some disappointment. So it's, so maybe being empathetic, <laughs> which is a good theme for life in general these days is really the way to go with all of it. Yeah, I would, I'd like to even just comment on kind of a positive note, you know, with having two teens at home that I don't see so often because they drive, because they have a door that's closed, because they're, you know, managing a lot of their own stuff. Um, get in there and give them hugs. I know it sounds, yeah. you know, corny and they don't always want them and they kind of like prickle sometimes and pull away. 
but just touch them and let them know like you're here, you love them, you know this is hard, you see them, you appreciate them, all those things. I mean, it's hard because we ourselves need that too. And they're not going to be under our roofs forever. Um, so in some ways we got this blessing of some extra bonus time with them during COVID. And, you know, I hope that we take away some of the silver linings, some of the good things about the connections that we did make, that we can look back on some of this with a little bit of a sense of humor, a little bit of laughter, a bit of this, how crazy who would have ever known. I mean, I really feel like we've been living in a movie for two yeah. years. Like Agreed. this is like, this is a movie. Like how could this be real life in our advanced world we're living in? And it is, and there's a lot of, you know, things we still don't know that are ahead. Yeah. Um, I, I was in, I was at my mother's house. She lives in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. I was there over New Year's and we were there all of 24 hours before we ran into a COVID situation and people isolating and, you know, all the fun stuff that we were dealing with there at the turn of the year. So I found myself, you know, the only adult in the house, <laughs> my kids, my mother was gone. So, you know, I reverted back to my teenage self and I started going through her closets and like looking and snooping through stuff. And I found a box that had my name on it. So I get this box out and it's got a bunch of like rando things in it, but I found this, this stack of like spiral notebooks. And I have often thought during the pandemic, having teenagers, like how I wished I could remember how I thought during that time, because like, you know, you think you remember, but you really don't. And I remember lamenting over the last couple of years, I really wish I'd kept a diary. Like that would have been really nice. Well, in this box, I, not only did I keep a journal, I kept one for years. I have no memory of doing this, but it is most definitely me. And I had time stamped every date. And as I read through this stuff, remembering things that I had, thank God, forgotten about over these decades, I was equal parts horrified and amazed by my teenage brain. And it gave me some real insight into my own kids and how they think and, and the way that I used to think, because they're learning and they're building that muscle memory that, you know, fortunately we have as grown up people, but these are the, these are the things that they have to learn through. And they're learning with a lot of pressures that we did not have. And if the girl who wrote those journals that I don't even remember writing turned out all right and a productive member of society, like our kids are going to be okay. Yeah. 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 Let's keep that. And I was a horrible person. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I hated this kid. I'm like, I would, I, if that kid yeah. was me during a pandemic, there would have been bad stuff in my house. <laughs> it would have exploded. Yeah, my kids, we did a little bit of closet clean out too. And for some reason, I'm the youngest in my family. And my parents used to take me on some trips with them because I was the only one left at home. And in order to keep me busy, they'd buy me a travel journal, which was just like a little pretty note. Oh, yeah. And I was so bored on some of these trips alone with my parents back then, you know, sightseeing or whatever, that they would have me write in it every day. And so my kids have found, seen the travel journals now, and it is kind of a crack up. It's like got the ticket stub from where we were, but then my thoughts on what it was like, like seeing a painting or, you know, like <laughs> bored I am doing whatever in line. Right. And you do, you know, you, it's good to kind of take those trips back down your own memory lane, Deirdre. We encourage people in the Parent Compass to kind of go back to what were you like back then and how does that influence you know, we can't remember all those things. So good thing we did write some of it down, but how it's does good. that influence the way we parent our kids? And we got to give these kids a big darn break because they are heroic in my mind. These middle and high schoolers, what they are going through, the pressures that they're under, the pressures that's, you know, society and the system is putting on them. You know, if they have parents that are willing to kind of invest in, in depressurizing, in appreciating who they are and following a parent compass, all those things, we're hoping to make a tiny difference in this in this planet of helping kids come out of this intact 
and with the relationship between their parents intact. I mean, I think that's yeah. the goal in all of so this. So wrapping up, is there a second book in the works? <laughs> oh, Jen. We are still promoting book number one. <laughs> I know we feel like it's a bit of an evergreen title. I mean, I would, I, I would, if I ever did it again, I would only do it with Jen because, um, it was, it was such, I mean, it really did get me through COVID. I will say like having this, this project together and my, you know, friendship that I built with Jen that really started as a business, you know, relationship and has really grown. I mean, she's one of my favorite people on the whole planet and we will always share this baby that we made together. Um, and we do really feel like it, it just continues to grow and, um, and take us in new directions, which has been a lot of fun. So we're not ready to, to get off of the parent compass wave. Um, we hope we can stay on it for a long time together, but I don't know, Jen, Jen, you know, maybe someday when we're, when we have a little more gray hair, we'll, uh, we'll do the looking back book. I don't know. What do you think, Jen? Maybe, or maybe, you know, parent compass for, elementary school kids. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, that's kind of where I was going with it because it reminds me a little bit of, um, the baby wise series, you know, which was, you know, of the kids books, you, know, oh, you yeah. had like a different series, every couple of years. We can work backwards, the, Jen. Yeah. We can, yeah. We can go backwards. You never know. We well, maybe, go- maybe it, we, people heard it here first. I mean, there's nothing official in the world, but <laughs> you know, the seed might be planted. Deirdre, maybe you're going to be a contributor. We'll have to see. Maybe, maybe I would love it. I would love it. All right. So what's a good way for everybody to stay in touch with you guys and also with kind of the parent compass movement in general. Yeah, please, please follow us on um, social media at parent compass on Instagram or parent compass book.com on, uh, on the World Wide web um, or the parent compass. If you're on Facebook or follow dying to ask, and you'll see all the links to us too. But um, yeah, we, we also, Jen and I are getting out there again. Um, I person. saw that on Instagram, like real life people yeah. signing. We've even seen each other a couple times now. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're starting just, just to- twice in the last two years. Yeah, we're starting but, to reconnect. Yeah. In, in we actually person. had to travel across the entire country um, just to see each other in person. <laughs> yeah, in New uh, Hampshire. In, Connecticut. in New Hampshire, we met, even though we're both from California, in order to- see each other in person and do a book event, which was actually well, a lot of fun. So yes, anyway, uh, so we that. also should talk about our book clubs um, for anyone interested in reading the parent compass with a group of like-minded parents who, you know, want to always be um, working on their parenting. They can go to our website, parentcompassbook.com, and we will jump into um, a discussion and chat with you about the parent compass message um, and answer any questions. So there's a way to sign up for that through our website, or you can email us at parentcompassbook at gmail.com. Oh, I love it. Well, I love everything that you guys do in your real life, yet humble, but um, empathetic, kind messaging that you have for a lot of parents and what's turned out to be a really challenging few years. So best of luck. Thank you. And get started on that next book. No pressure. Thank you, Deirdre, for always (laughs) supporting our message. Not that these two need another thing to do, and they definitely didn't jump on my follow-up book idea, but I think they could host a weekly podcast on parenting and education, and I'd probably listen every single week. I think they're just so wise and also so honest about how hard a lot of this is these days, regardless of your background and your situation. My two big takeaways from this show, number one, a little bit of humility goes a long way, and number two, think before you ask. Sometimes just phrasing the question a little differently can give the person you're asking the question, even something that seems so innocent as where's your kid going to college, 
um, it can give them a different feel in the conversation. So maybe a different way to ask it is to say, have you guys made any plans for next year yet? I know it's an exciting time. I know it's a stressful time, something like that. Maybe you just kind of open the door and then they decide if they're going to let you in or not. Thanks for listening to this week's Dying to Ask podcast. If you have a second and you can review or rate this show on the podcast app, wherever you're listening right now, I would appreciate it. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.